listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. I'm excited you are here this morning. Thank you so much for being here. If you're new, welcome. I pray you feel like family. Um, we're starting a brand new series uh, this, this week that's going to go through February. I mean, my goodness, if you don't preach on the resurrection at Easter and you don't preach on love in February, it's like, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but we're going to, yeah, we're going to take it from a little bit different angle um, today. Um, I came across this poem um, a, a couple weeks ago. I want to read it to you. It says this, my heart was a giver and time and again, the pieces were ravaged and shaken. Broken yet longing, it opened again, hoping that love would awaken. And then my, my heart met her and smiled again. The hurt was no longer, my heart found its friend. In giving it gained, and for her it flamed, as my giving heart was taken. Come on, y'all. Trying to help you out, fellas. She don't want tulips. She wants tulips. Come on, guys. Come on, fellas. She's gross. Oh, Lord, this is being televised. That's what's hilarious. This is going on the Internet right now. What's up, y'all? Um, if y'all want to hear some more of the jokes in the message, go ahead and follow along you version app. Click the little menu, events, Freedom Church. Amen. But the word taken is what kind of like took me. You know what I'm saying? I was like, that's, that's an interesting word. Cause like we, we've heard before, oh, somebody's stolen my heart. Oh, they've stolen my heart, you know. Or if you're a Cowboys fan, they stole my heart and stomped it in the ground. Anyway, moving on. We've heard this phrase, though, but either way, what it means is that you're all in. You're completely and totally head over heels in love with the person that has taken your heart. So let me ask you, married folks, do you feel that way about your spouse? Now, I didn't ask if you loved everything about your spouse. Okay? Typically, it takes people longer to identify something that they love about their spouse than it does to identify something that they don't like about their spouse. In fact, just for fun, any guy in here, name one thing you can't stand about your wife. Go. <laughs> this man up here is trying to jack up my lunch. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just going to send me home arguing. No, don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, there's a guy down the street. Uh, maybe you heard of him. His name is Joel Osteen. Um, he had, a, he had a really good quote that I've, I've said this for a lot of years, but he says, your spouse has approximately 80% of what you need. No person has 100%. If you're not careful, you'll focus on the 20% and end up frustrated. All right? The dude's 100% right on this. 100% right. So let me, let me take it further, though, is when you focus on that 20%, you go looking for it elsewhere, and while you might find 20% that you were missing, you realize that you lost 80% back at home. And listen, Satan would love for you to trade your 80% that you have for the 20% that you were missing. He would love for that to happen. So the goal shouldn't be to find the 20%. The goal should be to take 80 to 82%, to go to 85%. That's what the goal should be. The pers- uh, so for my wife and I, we take this trip at the end of the year. It's just us. We dump the kids off at the grandparents. We, we got to where we don't even ask. It's like assumed the last week of the year, the kids are going to the grandparents. And we just go us somewhere. The, the rule is five hours drive away. And, uh, you know, we spend less than $1,000 on the whole entire thing. Like we just, we, we, keep it, we keep it low cost. But it's just for us to go have fun and just hang out with each other and enjoy each other's company because, 
Listen, especially if you've got young kids, we've got a 12, 9, and a 5. Like, y'all, we need some time to ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, just to, and I'm not even talking like that. I'm talking just to be like, not to do mama, 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 you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, can I get a witness? I only had one. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've realized this year that every year we've been doing this, it's been like, well, gosh, probably 10 years now. All I'm doing is trying to get 80 to 81 and 81 to 82. The percentage of return only grows when the percentage of investment does. I'm going to say it again. The percentage of return only grows when the percentage of investment does. Now, you might say, "Uh uh-uh, because interest. I hear you, fam. I got you. But, but you shouldn't expect interest to be paid out on the 80% when you're investing it in somebody else's 20. You see what I'm saying? How come I'm not getting a return on my 80%? Because you invest in somewhere else. Why am I yapping about percentages and interest? It's because I'm convinced that your relationships will get better when you stop focusing on what you're missing and you start focusing on making what you have better. Jimmy Evans says you have a 100% chance of success in your marriage if you do it God's way. He's 100% correct. No one has a perfect relationship, okay? No one does. You don't even have a perfect relationship with yourself, okay? Let me ask you, have you ever gotten disgusted with you? Come on, man. Like, y'all don't even like looking in y'all's mirror in the morning like, I don't even like you. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> all right, so, so then let me ask you this. If you don't even have a perfect relationship with you, what makes you think you're going to have a perfect relationship with somebody else? 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. How do you think this is accomplished? Is it by complaining about the, what the other person is or is not doing? Or is it by working together towards unity? Very famous verse in Amos 3.3, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? So what's the real issue here is, is it that the 20% is just that bad in your spouse? Oh, or 20% is like 40. Or is it one or both of you are, are refusing to meet in the middle? Or a third option. Is it that you like them, but your heart hasn't been taken by them yet? Now, by the way, if you're single, y'all see anything, you're like, oh, yeah, this is for them. Like, I'm just going to chill and look on Facebook. No, don't check out. The odds are that you are going to be in a relationship at some point where this is going to be impactful. Or number two, if God has you in a season of singleness or in a lifetime of singleness, you need to know this between you and Jesus because it works there too. So what does taken actually mean? Well, obviously it's a movie with Liam Neeson. Like the, uh, Liam Neeson, that's, that's what it is. It's a specific set of skills. That guy, right? No, it's not what it is. It means to lay hold of with one's hands. The etymology is from this word takan, and it means literally to grasp. So when I ask if you're taken by somebody, what I'm really saying is this. Do they have you in their grasp, and do you have them? Are you completely captured by the one you love? Let me ask you it like this. Do they have all of you? This is something that we run into a lot of times with people. Even in their relationship with Jesus. They, they think that God has all of them until they run into a situation that they're unwilling to give to him. 
And can I tell you something? If you have a situation that you're unwilling to give to God or to your spouse, by definition, you haven't given it to them. It's still in your possession. But you expect God to put his blessing on being taken when you still hoarded what he wants. The rest of the, the, the real crux of this message today is, is simply this. Who has all of you? We live in a, like a compartmental world. Like right now, you're, 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 you're in your church relationships. Y'all ever have that? Y'all have church friends and you got work friends? And then you got like Friday friends? Come on, like Friday friends, we're going to work on them. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all better have no rowdy friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, but we, tep- we, typically, we typically compartmentalize everything. We do this with our relationships with our spouse as well when it comes to information, how we're feeling, what's going on in our lives. We absolutely do this with the Lord. But what has all of you? Does your spouse have all of you? Are you in their grasp? Does God have all of you? Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Um, this is a familiar verse. It's when God created woman. It says this in verse 18, the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them there to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that's what its name was. The man gave the names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to, the, uh, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and not ashamed. What can we learn from this? And how can we embrace the idea of being taken by our spouse and God as well? Three things I want to share with you today. First one is this. Don't be alone. Don't be alone. Now, I personally don't do being alone well at all. Um, My DISC personality profile is I'm an ID, and that means that I love people more than anything, but I'm also very driven. And also it shows that when I'm under stress, what happens is the I goes away and another D appears, and so I'm like, I'll run you over. So when I'm under stress, I have to remember to calm down. People are the most important thing. It's really, really, really helpful. I I also get refueled by people because I'm driven by that I personality type. Now, if you want to know what your personality type is, you need to go to freedomdl.com slash tests. We have a personality profile you can take there. Uh, why am I talking about this? Because it's hugely beneficial to understand how you and your spouse are made. Okay? My wife, when I first met her, she was a CS. That means she likes everything decent and in order, like graphs and accounting and all that kind of stuff. And she hates when things change. Now, I love change. I'm, I just, mm, it's like a warm blanket. It's like warm hugs, Right? How did that help us? Anytime there was going to be a big change in my life, I had to make sure everything was cataloged and lined out and planned so that Monique would be comfortable with it. See what I'm saying? It really does help. So go take those tests. Really beneficial. Um, anytime Monique is gone, though, I don't sleep worth a flip. Anybody else like that? Like, I go to bed super, super late. I don't sleep soundly. Now, Monique, on the other hand, she's like, uh, she's like uh, the Anna in Frozen. Just like, just, that's how she lives. But... I don't do well. A couple of days, I'm fine, but a week, I hate that. But this has so much more to do with me just loving being around people. It's not good when I'm alone. And you know what? It's not good when you're alone either. 
I realize you might be an introverted person out there. And, um, you know, Monique, she, uh, while I love being around people and people refuel me, when Monique gets around a bunch of people, it, it, it's exhausting for her. And so she's got to go get by herself. And like, that's how she refuels by herself. So I'm not saying it's bad if you need to isolate in order to refuel. I get that. But what I mean is it's not good to be alone in two main areas. And one is your spirituality. We're going to talk about this a little bit next week. But number two, your marriage. And listen, single folks, think of future relationships you might have. And also think about your relationship with Jesus as I'm talking about this. Married folks, y'all can think about Jesus, but think about your spouse. Single people, think about Jesus. Proverbs 18.1 says this, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If you want a successful marriage, it's not going to happen if you're two people seeking your own desire. We just read the verse, how can two walk together unless they agree? How can you be seeking your own desire and one person seeking it? That's not how it works. And by the way, if that person has actually taken your heart, it's not your heart anyway. Where does your desire come from? Your heart. So you are working together to go the same direction. If your heart is taken, it isn't yours anymore. First Corinthians 7, 4 says the wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, the context of this is in terms of marital relations with your spouse. So listen up, y'all. Spouses, don't withhold yourself from your spouse, okay? Don't do it. I realize that they are responsible, for, your spouse is responsible for their own thoughts and their own actions. But think of it like this. If your spouse, who you've given your all to, who you've joined together with as one, is on fire and you have a water hose... How jacked up is it to let them burn? What are you talking about, bro? All right. <laughs> let, me, let me break it down like this. Um, there's one specific thing that most guys struggle with. Okay? And wives, you can help the guy out with that. Okay? But let me flip the script. Because a woman's number one need is to feel safe and secure. But... Guys, if you get your paycheck and like, well, by God, that truck needs a carburetor. I'm going to go spend $400 on a carburetor, whatever, on a truck that's not even your main truck that is just a hobby vehicle. And you put her into a situation where finances are crazy now and she feels insecure. It's the same exact thing as the other stuff that men deal with. So what's my point? If you as a spouse can help the other spouse feel safer and more secure and better about a situation, don't you think you should help? That's my point that I'm making. But this verse hits even deeper if you embrace the principle. You are not your own. Everything you do impacts your spouse. It means that you should never do anything pertaining to your marriage alone. My parents, um, when I was growing up, they had a rule that if they spent more than $200, it had to be discussed first. Now, with inflation, that's probably about $18 million now. <laughs> but do you have a rule like that? I mean, Monique and I, we have, we have a joint bank account, and so we have alerts set up so that anytime the card is swiped, we see the card, the, the, the Chase Bank. Do, 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 at, where was this at? You know? Now, some of y'all are like, well, that's intrusive. That's how we got it worked out. You know why? Because we are one in this. We're together in this. It ain't my money. All right, she's a stay-at-home mom. I'm the one that brings the income in. Still ain't my money. It's our money together. It's because I don't want to do anything alone from my wife. So what am I really talking about here? Well, when you're focused only on the 20% that they're missing, you're being alone. 
when you're withholding intimacy, sexual or otherwise, you're being alone. You know, the, the sexual side is men's greatest gripe. But you know something, guys? Saying I love you ain't that hard, and it goes a long way. When you're engaged in activities that you're hiding from your spouse, you're being alone. When you refuse to share what's going on in your life with your spouse, you're being alone. And even more than that, you're revealing that your heart isn't really taken. Single people, how does this apply to you? All that, but with God. Lukewarm is not love. Covenant is all or nothing. And you can't give to someone else what has already been taken. Some of you are seeking your own things. And it's creating discord in your marriage, either between you and your spouse or you and your Savior. And at some point, you have to be willing to peel back the curtain and let your spouse in. Why? Because they deserve that. Okay? They deserve it. You're the one that said, I do. I mean, well, I didn't say I do. I said, I guess. Okay, whatever, man. (laughs) You signed the document, man. You're married to that person. You're one with that person. You're in covenant. You committed to them. And when you did that, you join with them. And what happens to you happens to them. Whether it's lying or misrepresenting or immorality or pornography, you think it's just you and your little secret that you're just poisoning your own body. But it isn't just you and your spouse individually. You're one. You can't get a shot in this arm and think that this arm is not going to get the medicine. It's not how it works. You're all one together. Now, that might mean no cell phone in the bathroom. It might mean deleting that social media account or joining the bank accounts together. Whatever it takes, don't be alone in your marriage. Real plain language, don't keep anything from your spouse. Okay? Now, let me give you a quick caveat to that. Okay? Jimmy Evans has a really good teaching about being careful when you're bringing up things from your past that have absolutely no impact on your present or future. Okay? I'm going to be real careful with this because this can almost sound like, well, preacher, you're saying keep something from my spouse. No, hold on a second. I'm not saying that at all. Let me, let me, give, you, let me give you an example of all of this. Um, Monique and I had a very different moral past. All right? I was the first guy that Monique ever kissed. And the greatest regret I had in my life was that when Monique at the altar gave me all of her heart, I had to give her what was left. And that has hurt for a long time. It is my life's greatest regret. Okay? Um, And this really wasn't a big issue when we first started dating. Um, It's the roses and butterflies and daisies on the side of the road. You know what I'm saying? It's like it was all pretty and flowers. But once we got married, it became a real issue for her because her mind would wonder. You know what I mean? And so there were things in my past that I didn't want to tell her because, for one thing, I'd already been forgiven of them. Like, God, it's already watered. The hatchets were so buried deep, so deep. They were at the water table for crying out loud. Like, they'd gone, they were gone and forgotten. But at one point, what happens is that, you know, we would fight and, like, she would throw stuff back in my face. Stuff that she didn't even know about, but it's like she was just hurt in that moment. You get it. But at one point, she realized that I'd already asked for forgiveness And God had already forgiven me. So dwelling on it was just allowing a past mistake to have destruction currently in our marriage right now. So what she decided to do was forgive 
and forget. And so I remember a specific Sunday. We were at Friendship Baptist Church. It was in 2010. And we went up to the altar. And she looked at me and she told me all of this. She said, I realize that every time I bring it up, you're just having to relive something God's already forgiven you for. I commit to you now. I will never say a word about it again. And I'm telling you what, for 14 years now, she's not uttered a word about it. And you know what it did for me? You know the the relief? But you just have to be careful when you're talking about sharing your past because while you might unburden yourself, you could inadvertently burden your spouse. Just be careful. So the first one is simply don't be alone. Here's the next one is be a fit helper. Be a fit helper. Let's look at again at the passage, verse 18. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Verses 20 through 24 again. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed it up in its place uh, with flesh. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Let me pause right here. This is something I didn't say in first service, but I feel that I need to say it right now. There is a reason why we have men's groups and women's groups separately. If you notice right here, the Bible says that God took the rib out of Adam. He went and made woman, and then he brought woman to man. What that means is that God was creating the fit helper of the woman for Adam, away from Adam. Listen to me. Some of the stuff, ladies, that you need to deal with in your life is not going to be dealt with in the context of your home with your husband. It's going to be a women's group or it's going to be sitting on a back porch talking to a lady about it. It's going to be over coffee. And men, the same situation. It might not be right next to your wife where you get through some of the stuff that you need to get through. It might be that coffee we have with somebody or a fishing trip. Come on, somebody. All right. You might have to get away from it to get it right. So go to men's group. Go to women's group. All right, well, I'll just spend family time at the house. No, you might need two hours away so that God can help create the fit helper that he needs to create in you. Amen? Just a side note, I didn't see that before. I saw it in first service. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The word helper in this passage is actually, in, in Hebrew, it actually says suitable helper okay now now the word helper believe it or not in hebrew means means helper so that's pretty exciting (laughs) but the word suitable in hebrew is actually in front of or to stand boldly out opposite now that's interesting it's interesting that the suitable helper when we think of suitable I was talking with Shelby about this in between services. When we think of suitable helper, guys, like this is the mindset we have. Like we're standing here and our submissive wife is behind us helping us with whatever we need, right? Come on, fellas. Okay, calm down, calm down with your amen and on that, boys, because that's not exactly biblical. Um, they are not lesser than you, okay? But as they submit to you, you submit to Christ. And by the way, they've got a tougher job because Jesus is always faithful and you ain't. Okay, so if your wife is not being submissive like you want, maybe you need to check whether or not you're worth being submitted to. Okay, love y'all, but we're going to get right or we're going to get left. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, Jesus. I saw that on a sign at church one day. But here's my point. Your spouse is not meant to be walking behind you, but according to the word, 
they're standing in front of you. Now, Shelby brought something to my attention that I thought was incredible, is that when I'm looking at my spouse, I've got her back and she's got my back. Come on, man. Like, we need somebody that's got our back. Okay? But also, the way I look at it as well, is if my wife is in front of me, that means that she's got my attention. And I can't go or do anything without my wife being there because she's right in front of me. The way we get into trouble, fellas, I'm talking to us for just a second, is what we will do is we will push the wife aside real quick to see what's happening over here, and then we get ourselves in trouble. You better keep your wife center. Ladies, you better keep your husband center. And if you're single, you better keep Jesus center so that you can be everything God created you to be. It's interesting. First, men and women are not the same. I don't know if you all know that. Men and women are not the same, and that's by design. Your spouse has things in them and that you don't. Now, I'm a dreamer. I'm a visionary. I'm always ready to charge the hill, fight the battles. Let's go take it. Monique is calm and collected and values details and loves preparedness. And so what I do is I keep her moving with vision, and she keeps me tethered to the earth so I don't get lost in the clouds. I need her, but she needs me. Some of y'all know Monique really well. Y'all like, oh, that's right, you know? Physically and in terms of personality, your helpmate is different from you. And that is not only good, it's God. It's God's design. Thank God Monique is different from me physically. Woo! <laughs> Second, the helpmate is designed to be in front of you. You know, you know, I explained about having the person in front of you, focus in front of you, but... Have you ever heard the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence? If you'd focus on your side of the fence and do what it takes to make that grass greener, you'd have greener grass. As I was thinking about this, something came to my mind. If I'm focusing on grass that's greener on the other side of the street, I'm about to steal somebody else's work. Have you ever driven past a piece of property, like a field, and it's like, okay, brown, 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 green. Wow. Like, what are they doing? If your relationship isn't where you want it to be, then I had some advice from you last week in the last week of um, Outside the Circle. It was, what you going to do about it? <laughs> what are you going to do about it? If, if your relationship isn't where you want it to be, what are you going to do about it? Is it because your helpmate is not in front of you? It's because they're behind you or alongside or have you walked so far away from them, you don't even know where they are? Now, maybe you say we just aren't compatible. You know, we're just not in the same place, preacher. Well, well, first, no duh. Like, everyone changes. We change daily. Some of y'all change your mind daily. Okay, but two, are you just going to let that be your excuse and just give up that evil? We're just not compatible. Really? That's That's it? That's how far covenant goes with you is that you just want to forget it when it gets a little tough because somebody changed. Well, they changed for the worse. Okay, what are you doing about that? Well, preacher, we, we weren't living for God when we met, so we probably cho- chose the wrong person, you know? Neither of us were really seeking God then. Okay, so the thought process here is that because you weren't seeking God when you met, that it's impossible for your spouse to become the helper that God created and intended for you. And, and that's the excuse to try something different. Is that right? So if that's the case, then do you really think that God's power is so limited that he can't take two people who came together in sin and make something holy out of it? Is that it? I mean, because God is like legit renowned for this. Look at Abraham. He was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver. Joseph was arrogant. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterous murderer. 
Peter was an impetuous fisherman. James and John, hotheads. Matthew, a hated tax collector. Paul murdered Christians. Paul created the first martyr. And if God can change all of them, do you really think he can't change you and your relationship with your spouse? It's the problem, though. This is the problem, is that we think it's up to all of us to fix our problems. I'm going to tell you right now, you're trash at fixing your problem, dude. Like, you're bad at it. And the truth is, if you could fix it, you'd have already fixed it. In fact, if you could fix all your problems, why do you even need Jesus? I mean, we should, we should have a tattoo on our forehead that says we can't fix nothing. So, so what do you do? I, I'm sorry to keep throwing the word back at you, man, but this church, I'm going to hit you with a Bible verse, Genesis 2.18. This will be the third time we read it today. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Not you will make a helper. You didn't see Adam over there like, can you give me the shovel, God? Um, no. And it's not up to your spouse. God is the one that does it. Listen to me, church, as long as you have your hands on it, you're going to mess it up. That's why when you're struggling, if you're struggling with issues between you and your spouse, now more than ever, you need to take your hands off the situation and allow God himself to intervene. He might do that through another couple helping. It's one of the things I love so much about my family is the fact that my parents, if you have a problem, I, I remember this my entire life growing up, that anytime there was a couple that was going through some struggles or had some issues, or maybe there was an infidelity or they just couldn't get on the same page, I mean, just a million different things, they would always end up at our house for dinner. And so it wasn't some, let's meet at the church and discuss this. It wasn't scary like that. Like, what y'all going to do? Like, I mean, it's like a torture room up here or something. Is it like, why, why are you making me scared? No, it was at dinner, at home, in a calm environment, peaceful. Let's just work together. Let's figure this thing out. Comfortable. I mean, my goodness, would you rather have the spotlight on your mind going, what's wrong? Or would you rather be sitting at a table with somebody just talking through the issues? And I've seen that happen my entire life. And so some of y'all just need a couple that's willing to sit down with you and speak some life into you. Maybe through a counselor. It's not that scary. Hey, maybe y'all just need to start praying for each other every night. Seriously, I, you don't have to answer because this might be embarrassing. But when's the last time you prayed for your spouse? When's the last time, fellas, you prayed for your wife? Wives, when's the last time you lifted up and encouraged your husband? One thing has to happen. You've got to give your entire heart to your spouse and to God. Listen, I want to be very careful here. I realize not everybody in this room, everybody that's listening online has had these perfect marriages where everything worked out like it was supposed to. I realize divorce happens. I realize families break up. I hear you. I understand that. And honestly, I, I hate that. I think God hates that. God wants restoration as often as possible. Sometimes divorce happens. I get it. Okay? But at the end of the day, only you are going to have to answer for what you've done. You can't answer for what the other person has or has not done. So what I'm encouraging you to do today is that you put yourself in a place where you're doing everything you can to make sure that your marriage is strong. If you're single, to make sure that your relationship with Jesus is strong. If you're divorced, to make sure your relationship with your family and with Jesus is strong. That's what we're looking for here. Let me just put it to you like this. God can't fix hearts that he hasn't taken. 
So as long as you keep your little hands on your heart, God can't fix it. You know, it's so easy to get wrapped up in how the other person isn't upholding their end of the bargain. And, you know, sometimes it's like that. I get it. But I found that people's actions are rarely random and they're most often based on circumstances. And negative actions are often the result of people having a perceived lack in their lives. So let me just say it to you like this. If you want your marriage to be strong, if you want it to succeed, it's got to start with your relationship with Jesus Christ. We see in Matthew chapter 22, and I know this is super churchy, man. I, I'm sorry to be so churchy about it, but, but the Bible says that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your might, and, and, and the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. I'm convinced that you're going to have trash relationships that are unsuccessful and unsatisfying if you yourself don't have the relationship with Jesus that you need to have. You know, when a man and wife come together, it's actually a trifold cord, just like it is with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because Jesus is in the midst of that. And so it's like, imagine when you're standing there at the altar and the preacher, like, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but let me be Jesus there for a minute. So I'm sitting here. And so the man, he doesn't just give me the ring. He gives me his heart. And the woman just doesn't give me the ring. She gives me her heart. And I have these two. And what I'm doing is I'm allowing each husband and wife to experience love between each other through the heart of Christ himself. It's really hard to love. It's really hard to hate like the devil when you're loving through Christ's heart. And so if there's something inside of you that's got a level of frustration or hatred with your spouse, maybe you need to ask if you're looking at them through your lens and through his heart. Because if you're not looking through his heart, you're going to hate them. And so the devil's going to find every reason. Like, I can't even stand how he's breathing. <laughs> last one is this. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Genesis 2, 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I would have really loved to have been in the board meeting with the Discovery Channel when they came up with the show Naked and Afraid. It's got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. Okay, so many of you have, have understood like the idea of like the, there's a show called Alone where they take some people and they put them out in the wilderness and they see how long they can survive. Well, these guys are like, well, let's take the same idea. Let's just make them naked. Like, that's literally a show, guys. They take a naked woman and a naked man, they put them out in the wilderness to see if they can last 14 days. What is that? Now, I know Discovery Channel is probably like not intentionally trying to make us think that being naked and vulnerable is bad. However, if you look at our culture, you look at what's going on out there, when you think of naked as being vulnerable, that's not something that people like these days. I mean, my goodness, some of us don't like being naked in front of ourselves in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you know, there are two, two kinds of naked. There's naked in terms of the world, the way Satan looks at it, and that's where you're exposed. But then there's naked in God's terms, and that's just where you're not hiding anything. Let me put it to you like this. I'll give you an analogy to help with this. Um, your company that you work for gets bought out by a competitor. And typically what's happened in that situation is they start making cuts and rearrange, restructuring. 
which is basically just everybody getting the axe is what that is, but restructuring. But after that happens, you know, after the company gets bought out, your boss comes into your office and pops in and says, hey, listen, I want you to know your job is 100% safe. You're good to go. Now, is his nakedness with you in that moment? Does it make you feel afraid or does it make you feel unafraid? Of course it makes you feel unafraid. You're like, oh, thank you, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're cool. Let me tell you something else. When you can be naked and unashamed with your spouse, it's the same feeling. The same relief comes from being able to be naked and unashamed with your spouse. Now, listen, how does this work with single people? (laughs) No, stop. That's not what I mean. But do you have anybody in your life right now that you can be vulnerable with? That you can you can say, hey, like this is really what's going on. This is really how I feel. I'm really frustrated and this is why. I have those people in my life. Can I tell you something? I need those people in my life. Here's a question for you. Can you be vulnerable with your spouse? God wants you to place with your spouse where there's nothing hidden between you two. Can you share anything with your spouse? Let me ask you some questions. Can you share your struggles and defeats? Can you share your good things and victories? Can you share what you believe God is telling you? You know, some people are afraid to tell them what they think God's telling them because they think they're going to be hyper-spiritual, like, oh, you're one of those church people now. Can you share your frustrations? Hold on. Can you share your frustrations that you have with your spouse? Okay, so check this out. When my wife and I got married, um, we butted heads like rams on the side of a mountain. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all think Monique is all like calm and chill and sweet and loving. She's a tooth chipper. You hear what I'm saying? Like, she will throw some hands. Like, not physically, but she's, well, she's, she's pretty quick-witted. And I'm saying, can I just be, tell you something? I love it. Like, I really like it. Like, I need a fighter. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah. Uh, but anyway, um, this is so much easier with her not sitting on the front row like she was in first service. <laughs> Can I say whatever I want right now? Um, I can trust you guys, right? Oh, Jason, you're being alone. See what you're doing? You're being alone. You're trying to keep something from your wife. Okay, anyway. Um, so when Monique and I first got married, well, for the first three years, we butted heads like crazy. And um, it's because she was always wrong and I was always right. And I don't know why she couldn't get it, but everybody knows that's not the truth. But here's actually, here's actually something that it boiled down to. Um, this is going to be a hack for you guys. It's going to really, really help, Okay. Um, so Monique was raised that when there was a problem, you didn't necessarily have to deal with it right then. You could deal with it later, sweep it under the rug, maybe never talk about it. Just hopefully it goes away. I was raised where if you got a problem, check out my hook as my DJ revolves it. You know what I'm saying? Like we fixed it right then. There was no waiting. Okay. Now when Monique and I would, would butt heads, I'd be like, I'm frustrated about this. And I tell her what my frustration was. And so she would, she would hit back because she learned really early. If she didn't speak back, then I just run over her, right? So she would hit back, and then, you know, we would escalate and escalate. And in psychology, they tell you uh, that you need somebody in the relationship that has uh, enough humility to one down instead of one up. And so I would always wait for her to one down, and she never did. So I just kept going up, you know what I mean? Like, that's just what it is. And so um, when we got to New Covenant, started, I started working at that church. We had a conversation with my senior pastor because, like, we were having some struggles, you know? And... Um, and so here's, here's what he said. He said, it's not fair that Monique has to do everything right then to fix it like you grew up. But it's not fair that you have to wait 
for months on end before you deal with the problem. So here's what you do. The moment you feel the anger rising up, which, by the way, guys, that's not anger rising up. That's the words that you know you shouldn't say. And you got to stop them before they get to the voice box where they actually become real reality. Because don't forget, power and, uh, the power of life and death are in your tongue. And if you begin to speak stuff over your spouse, don't be surprised when it starts happening. Okay? So what would happen when Monique and I would get into those raging fight moments? We would speak things over each other that would become a reality. All right. So Pastor Chuck told us this. The moment you feel it coming up, yell a code word. We have a code word. We still use it. We've been using it for almost 15 years now. And once that code word is said, you shut your mouth. Like, it, like we, are, we are strict about it. Not another word. And if somebody says another word, we just say the code word louder, a little more aggressive. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, hey, this works for us. So what does it mean? It means an automatic 30 minutes, shut up and don't talk about it. You can be in the car riding together. You look out that window. I'm going to look out that window. Somebody better be driving. But anyway. So here's the beauty of this. It gave me 30 minutes to calm down. But it also started a time clock where she has 30 minutes to bring it back up. So she doesn't have to deal with it right this second. But I don't have to wait till Christ comes back before I figure out what the problem was. You see what I'm saying? That little thing has changed our lives. And what it did is it created an opportunity for me to be able to share my frustrations with her. And she could share her frustrations with me. Why? I love her. I want her to succeed. Can you share your frustrations? But can you also share the things that make you happy? I think sometimes we're not sharing that last thing enough. If you can't do any of these, then why? Let me give you some, let me give you a really dumb statement from Shaq. I'm Shaquille O'Neal. Diesel. A man should never open up to a woman. Whenever something goes down, they're going to throw it back in your face. That's the best I can do about Shaq. I can't, I can't do a better one. Hey, Chuck, what do you say? <laughs> Churros. <laughs> That's a, that is, like, I like Shaq a lot. I lo- he goes into Walmarts and buys people stuff. And, like, I, I, Shaq's got a big heart. I mean, physically, he got a big heart. But, but the man has a, he's genuinely a nice guy. This is stupid, though. This is dumb. All right? This is not biblical love. Good thing Shaq is not God. Come on, y'all, feel me? What does 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 say? Look at this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Why am, I, why am I saying this? I'll tell you why. Because godly love always creates room for vulnerability. And if you love someone with the same love that we just read in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, then how can you not have a moment where somebody can be vulnerable with you? If you can't tell your spouse what you're struggling with, it means that you don't trust them to respond in a way that's helpful to you. 
if your spouse feels this way, you need to understand that they think you won't respond as a helper no matter how you feel about it. Now, you might think, like, my spouse can tell me anything. You have to remember how your spouse perceives things is often more important than how things really are. That ain't fair. It's not fair at all. But if you think something's dangerous, whether it is or not, you're not going to do it, or at least you're going to proceed with caution. So if you can act like that when you think something's dangerous, how come they can't act that way when they think they can't be vulnerable with you? So if your spouse feels like they can't be vulnerable with you, it doesn't matter if you feel like they can or not. All it means is that at some point, whether it was with you or someone else, they tried to be vulnerable and they got torched for it. So like, what are you supposed to do? Like, you can be vulnerable with me. Because Shaq said, if I tell you anything, you're going to throw it back at me. Because listen, ladies, y'all got that memory, don't you? I mean, and don't get me wrong. I have, I have at times in my past um, not griped about something that made me mad because it was ammunition for the next time I got mad. You know what I'm talking about? Like, anybody else do that? No? Okay. I mean, if we're going to fight, might as well fight about all of it, right? That's dumb, y'all. That's the shark logic. Don't do that. Okay, don't do that. So what do you do in this situation? Let me give you quick, real quick, three little things you can do. Number one, follow the golden rule. Okay, how would you want your spouse to respond if the tables were turned? What if your husband came to you and said, hey, I've been struggling with what I've seen on the Internet. And so I want you to know I've deleted this app because I've been struggling. Now, you might blow your top, ladies. I hear you. But first thing you need to always understand in that situation, 99% of the guys that I've talked to about this, it's not about a deficit that they see in you. It's about them not being able to deal with stresses that they have in their life, and that's just an easy, quick outlet. Okay, so don't internalize it like they think you're ugly or something. That's 99% of the time, that's not even what it's about. Okay? So there's that. But on the other side, how would you want your husband to respond if you said, hey, I just want you to know, I was at my office today, and um, a guy that works down the hall, I don't know why, but sent flowers to my desk today. Follow the golden rule. Why? Because this will create vulnerability in your marriage. The second one is this, create intentional space for vulnerability. How? Be willing to be vulnerable yourself. We've had people ask us, how come men's group is so awesome? It's like, because it's got us in it. You're like, come on. It's, it's actually not that. Um, I had a guy one time tell me. He said, um, in fact, he was talking about specifically about Brandon, who leads our men's ministry. Um, he said, I saw Brandon being vulnerable. And it made me think if he could do it, I could do it too. And the reason there's vulnerability in our men's group right now It's not because we've got a bunch of wusses in there. It's because we've been willing to be vulnerable with each other. And it's created opportunities. So how do you create those vulnerable spots? Well, number one, you've got to control your reactions. Look, I'm a reactionary person, okay? I can e real quick. But but I have to control that. And remember something else too. Your spouse isn't perfect, just like you, okay? Remember, you're supposed to help each other, to be a benefit to each other. 
So create those vulnerable spaces. And then lastly, employ a third party. What that means? A couple at church. A counselor. A counselor doesn't mean you failed. It means you're willing to succeed. And I'm going to tell you right now, God, I'm going to talk to you guys for just a second, because ladies are typically willing to talk through it. Guys, y'all hear me. If you are unwilling to talk to somebody about a problem you're having in your marriage that could fix your marriage, you're being prideful. That's pride. And all it means is that you love your pride more than you love your spouse. Whether a professional or a couple in our church, if you need help, it's available. So how do we end today? It's simple. God doesn't want you to be alone. If you're married, it's your spouse. If you're single, it's those people around you that have the five. They know you. They know God. They love you. They love God. They have your best interests in mind. God made a person to be a help to you. Okay? Now, not only is there somebody out there to help you, God made you to be able to help somebody else. And the only way you can help, be the help that you need, is if God has all of you. He's the one that changes your heart, not your spouse. Ladies, you can't fix him. Okay? I know he's, he's mean, but I can fix him. No, you can't. Okay? You can't. God can, though. And lastly, God wants you to be vulnerable. He wants you to have that with your spouse. He wants you to have it with him too. But to do that, you have to be surrounded by people who create room for you to be vulnerable. If you're in a friend group right now and you can't be vulnerable with them because they'll joke about it or to tell somebody about it, them some bad friends. But that also means you have to be willing to create space for others too. The premise of this series is to be the spouse God, you to, God called you to be. And to do that, your heart has to be taken. Covenant is all in. It's full tilt. It's no holds barred. Your spouse deserves all of you, not just part of you. Jesus deserves all of you, not just part of you. He didn't just die for a part of you on the cross. He died for all of you on the cross. If you really want to have the relationship with your spouse that you've dreamed of, it's going to require you really love them. You really cherish them. You really honor them. You really give them everything that you are. I read you a poem at the start. I didn't read you the last stanza. And here's the last stanza here. It says, Taken my heart, taken was my heart, not stolen. For stolen assumes I was wronged. Gladly I gave all to my beloved. For her, my heart always has longed. Listen, this is how it should be with your spouse. I always looked at Monique and I thought, she is such a picture to me of God's grace because God gave me something I didn't deserve. And it's like, when I brought her what was left of my heart, Monique and the Lord restored my heart and put my pieces back together. You said, that's what your spouse should do. They shouldn't be in there with a hatchet. They should be helping make you whole. But it can't happen if you don't give them everything. And it can't happen if you don't give God everything. So here's what I'd love you to do today. If you can, if your spouse is here with you, just grab them by the hand. If you're single here today, or if your spouse isn't here, like if your spouse isn't here, they're out working somewhere, just like close your eyes and imagine you're talking to them. If you're single, I want you to just hold your hand open as if the Lord is going to hold your hand right here in this moment. I want you to know something real quick though too. It's not bad to be single. Like people make it out to be. Good Lord. It's like, you know, in church, if you're under 18, we got something for you. If you're married with kids, we got something for you. But that weird single stage, like, 
y'all just forget all that mess. Whether it's a season or a lifetime, you always got Jesus and you always got family. All right? But here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray a prayer. And we, can, we need to pray this to the Lord, but let's pray this to our spouses as well. It's going to be on the screen here. Here's what it says. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray it together. Forgive me for not giving you everything. Take my heart, all of it. I'm yours completely from this moment forward. Amen. This is what we're going to pray with our spouse. So maybe you just want to lean close to each other and just whisper this to each other. But let's just either say it to your spouse or to the Lord right now. Say it with me. Forgive me for not giving you everything. Take my heart. Take all of it. I'm yours completely from this moment forward. Amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment, God. Thank you for your precious people. God, I thank you so much, God, that that our heart is something that you wanted. God, that you longed for it. Father, I'm happy to give you everything I am, God. I'm so grateful for everything you've done. God, you've created an opportunity for me to be vulnerable with you because you started it. You loved me first. You gave everything for me first. God, I'm just responding to the love that you have for me. God, I'm asking for the people in this room, the people who are watching online, the people who will watch this in the future, Father, that when it comes to our spouses, God, that we would have the same mindset, that we would give everything freely, that we would long to live for and love our spouses. God, I pray that you would help us focus on our spouse completely, Father. Get that the kids wouldn't be more important than our spouse. God, God, that you and our spouse would be number one in our lives. God, I pray for the marriages. God, I pray that you'd strengthen them. God, I pray that you'd give people courage to reach out and ask for help if they need it. God, I also pray for those who are single in this room, people who are divorced in this room. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would allow the same same, uh, uh, intimacy between spouses to happen between you and them as well, Father, that nothing would stand in the way. We thank you for it, Jesus. In your precious name, amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.